So if you have visited with us over the last three to four weeks and you've been wondering, hey, why does this place have a different person preaching every Sunday? Uh, My name is Ross and I preach most Sundays. Um, There's always from June to August, there's normally a four week period in there where I just kind of get away from preaching every Sunday. And some people come up to me and say, hey, how's the vacation going? I say, oh, bless your little heart. I'm not really on vacation. I'm preparing typically for what's coming next. What are we going to be doing throughout the next year and things of that nature? Um, and, and, but always excited to be back as well. Like, you know, first service, I was belting it out up there. I was with a different church last week, but there's nothing as good as being with Canoe Creek and singing together and praising God together and looking at his word together as well. I heard we had some singing preachers while I was gone. Uh, my, um, Commitment to you is I will never sing, all right? Not from the stage with a microphone on, that's for sure. Really excited that Rob Fleener was able to begin that period and then anchor it as well with some great messages. We have been and are in a series on the Ten Commandments and looking at what God has instructed in our lives as essential. And it just so happened that like, if you're visiting this Sunday morning, it's just Murphy's Law for the first time, you know, and, and I'm coming back my first Sunday back from being away for four weeks, that this happens to be on that one commandment that has to do with sex. And so the entire Sunday morning is going to be about talking about sex. It's exciting. We're going to scare the children. Um, uh, I told Carrie, you know, if you know anything about Canoe Creek, we have every fifth Sunday, we have a family Sunday. That means elementary comes in with us. And I'm like, hey, why don't we just move this one to the fifth Sunday of August? And she's like, no, absolutely not. You're doing it when you come back. So here's the command. Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. This is what God says to us in his commands. Now, as we see and as we've been seeing, there's so much more Uh, to what is commanded than just a simple legalistic view of what we see in those Ten Commands. Now, i got about 26 minutes to to really dig into this, and, um, you know, i got a little bit more time than normal because this one's going to take a little bit longer. And and at the end of the day, this should be interesting. Listen, I've been studying preaching for about 20 years, and I listen to a lot of different guys. One thing that I know is absolutely key to good preaching that kind of conveys God's message of best attention, a reason to listen, a reason to be engaged. And the thing I love about a topic like this is I got to do nothing special. You just say sex and there's tension, right? And it's like, oh my goodness, where are we going to go with this one? But as we look at God's word, he has impressed the importance of this from Genesis to Revelation. Right after the command, as we go through Leviticus and Numbers, there's significant details regarding this command. Uh, The Song of Solomon is an entire book dedicated to the action of sex between a husband and a wife. Here's the point. You cannot de-sex the Bible. And the problem is... In certain generations, certain times, certain churches, maybe that's what our goal was to do, is to try and de-sex the Bible. But you can't do that because it's from beginning to end. And at the same time, the Bible does not present sex with some sort of idea of pornographic ideas or just medical terms and ideas. It's very poetical in nature and how it's presented uh, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. When you see Jesus speaking and the gospel records some of the things that he says, Paul and, and James, a half-brother Jesus, all of them, when they mention the Ten Commandments and they do as they normally do, they'll pare them down to just a couple, 
Guess which one they never exclude from the, the lesser amount of commands just to give you an idea of expressing God's commands. Yeah, it's don't commit adultery. And in some cases, it's the one leading in, in all of the list, the first one that they mention. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Jesus uses the term of adultery in relation to people rejecting him. Uh, James compares adultery to those who choose to be friends of the world. John writes that those who follow false teachings are adulterous. Adultery is a major theme of falling away from God in the New Testament. Here's the point. All of that, there is something very sacred, something very mystical, something very important. And something very essential in this action of union that God has given to a man and a woman. Now, here's the thing. If you've been coming to Canoe Creek for just for a short period of time, or even recognize, hey, this isn't something I can remember us talking about, you know, recently. Well, it's, you know, we don't throw it out there every Sunday, but when it comes up, it comes up. Or this is your first time coming back to church. You may be thinking, all right, here it is. I knew it, you know, come to church and they're talking about don't have sex, all right? Um, actually... God is extremely pro-sex. This is the reality. This is what the scriptures teach us. Some people will just say, ah, church people, they're just prudes. If they could experience and see this sexuality as we do, they'll be liberated. The reality of it is, is people who know God the best experience the greatest sense of liberation in this area of their life, whereas most often people who are by the world's terms, most liberated are the ones most in bondage in this area of their life. Because when people trust the plan that God has for sexual intimacy, they're more liberated than anybody else. And here's why. God is the one who created it. God is the one who designed the chemicals within our brain to, to work in such a way that brings about that experience and that enjoyment and that really in some ways addictive property that comes into binding me to my wife and my wife to me. And this was what God would design behind it all. I mean, here's the reality. He put Adam and he put Eve there together completely naked. And one of the very next things he said was, hey, go enjoy one another. This is the creator and there could be nobody who is more for sexual interaction than God is. And here's the reality that we learn from that. The most liberating view of sex is experience when we trust the source of it. The greatest experience, the greatest ideas, the, the most amazing time in, in enjoying what God has given to us is most experienced in his best way when we trust the source of the one who created it, the one who designed you and me in the way that he designed us to understand this and to experience this. Uh, Jesus helps expand our view of this one little simple command that we can become very legalistic over. And as with many others, and as Rob did a great job last week of pointing out, I invite you to go back and listen to that message, Jesus always takes us much further beyond just a simple statement and shows us the heart of what he meant. I mean, when God shows up and he says, this is what I meant, you listen. And look at what he says in Matthew 5. He says this, you have heard it was said. Okay, so God said, do not commit adultery. And now he's saying, hey, this is what you've been hearing, but I'm God. Let me tell you what I meant by it. Let me tell you how to go deeper with it. You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. 
It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Special word for hell here. I'll mention it later. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, so Jesus does something here. He says, here's what's really at the heart of this command. Here's what the real problem is, is you have lust in your heart that is not in accordance with God's will. And he brings into this different idea. And here's the problem within our culture. Our culture has a lust deception. They have a lust issue. They have a really complicated relationship with the idea of sex. Our culture is very confused about sex, not how to do it, but how to understand it and how to experience it and how to go back to the source, so to speak, with it. You know, our culture, in, in essence, has a very low view of sex because they just see it as transactional. They just see it as simply experiencing something in the moment versus a very mystical, a very spiritual a very meaningful and deep experience that God has designed for every single one of us. To the worldly culture, it's just a cause and effect of lust. And it's just transactional. It's just simple. It's just easy. It's just something that we engage in to exchange goods, so to speak. But that's a very low view of it. God has such a higher view of it, a far more liberated view of it as well. But our culture is very very confused about this. Let me give a couple examples. Um, you know, in the 90s, the boomers were telling all the kids in the 90s, don't have sex, it's bad, it's bad. And the kids in the 90s were like, what are you talking about, you know? You guys had all your fun-loving days of the 70s, and now you're telling us that we can't have our fun. But the problem with it was is they experienced that they were treating something trivial, treating something simply, but yet it was to be treated sacredly, to be cared for. They saw the problems within society, within culture that created. Here's what the boomers learned, whether they realize it in a biblical way or not. You don't treat what is sacred as a simple appetite. It will burn you. You see, when, when Jesus mentions this word for hell, he uses the word Gehenna, which to us doesn't mean anything. But to them, it was a visual picture of a place of a trash heap in Jerusalem where there's this constant burning, terrible smell. And Jesus is basically saying here to us what the boomers learned was trying to tell the kids of the 90s is, listen, when you treat what is sacred with a simple mentality, you're going to feel like you're discarded. You're going to be put out in a place where you don't really feel the full satisfaction that your soul is ultimately longing for. Let me, one more illustration about how our culture is so confused about this topic. I just recently saw an article in the Olympics because that's a big deal right now, right? I thought this was interesting. This is a perfect example. The girls from Norway, the beach volleyball girls from Norway, they got fined because they wouldn't wear skimpy bikinis like they're supposed to wear. They wore, they were tight, but they wore shorts that were down down their thighs a little bit. They just were like regular shorts, but they're tight to their body. They got fined for that because, you know, the reason why guys tune in to watch beach volleyball is to look at girls' butts. Uh, and so, you know, that's what you got to wear. And I'm thinking, but there ain't a school in this nation where if you send your kid to school, like your daughter's school like that, they're not going to send her home and, and discipline her for that. It's very confused and com complicated because we're not trusting in the source to get the greatest liberated view that we can get. Culture is completely sucked into this lust deception. And culture will say, you know, there's a few rules, right? Don't cheat on your own spouse. Don't, don't have sex with somebody else's spouse. But other than that, it's pretty much okay. And Jesus says, listen, that's what you heard it said. 
But here's what I'm going to tell you the problem is. The problem is when you entertain lust for a man, for a woman, in your heart, it all begins there. It's a pretty intense statement. So, so what is this lust that Jesus speaks of here? And, and let me say what it isn't, then let me say what it is very quickly. I think starting there really helps give us a better picture And this is important because the exact word that Jesus uses here is not often very, is very uniquely used here, applied to the idea of sex. Why? Because it's applied negatively. And I, my opinion is, is God doesn't want us to see that Jesus is saying sex is negative. Why? Because God is pro-sex. He's the one who invented it. He's the one who designed it. He's the one who said to Adam and Eve, hey, go have sex and enjoy and so he uses a different word that really more often is associated with just a, a desire within the heart, something that we want. And so what lust is not is not another way of saying sex is bad. Just stay away from it. That's not what it's saying. Now listen, by the way, mark the date because if we have a baby boom nine months from today, I'm taking credit on that. So, um, but listen, what is it? Well, it is impersonable. And it is inordinate desire. This is what lust is. It is impersonable first and foremost. Let me explain what I mean by that. Lust moves us to treat things designed for personal interaction, very intimate interaction, in a very impersonal way. Transactional, trivial, simple, and easy. Lust will deceive us into believing physical, uh, being physical, being naked, being open to someone while withholding all the other areas of my life, my legal areas, my financial areas, my emotional areas, my personal areas. I'll hold all of that close, but yet I'll give you this one little sliver, this one little piece of the pie, so to speak. God intended for us to live our whole lives together when we enter into this action together, but lust moves us to withhold ourselves in these various ways while giving away one simple peace. And at its source, God says, sex is most liberating. It is its best. It is the most you could ever experience in it when you give every part of who you are to somebody else faithfully with commitment. Not just a sliver, not just a piece. And and lust influences us to make sex impersonable, by giving away just a piece of us while withholding some things. So here's what happens, right? The prude will say, well, okay, we're gonna get married, so we gotta combine our lives together. But this whole sex thing, you know, it's just, it's a necessary evil. So we'll just do it as we have to. And that's the way some people have been raised in the church to believe, or some people have been raised in religion to believe. And then you have the pagan, and they'll say, listen, I don't wanna have anything to do with you emotionally, you know, legally, anything like that. I I just want sex from you. And here's the problem. Neither the prude nor the pagan glorify the perfect plan God has for sexual intimacy. Because God desires for us to be committed to someone of the opposite sex, to love them, to care for them in all aspects of our life, not just one little piece or ultimately one little part. Here's the thing, lust motivates us to see people as a commodity. Here's what lust will move us to do. It'll see this guy, it'll cause us to see this girl 
as a bag of chips from the 7-Eleven and of no more value than that. Open it up, devour what's on the inside, and discard whatever's left over. This is why Jesus said it's like feeling like you've been thrown on the trash heap. And feeling like you've been burned up because you've given something to somebody that God never intended you to give to them unless you gave everything to them. And quickly, let me explain what I mean by it being an inordinate desire. The predominant use of this word is connected with the idea of anything we overly desire. And if you remember in the beginning weeks of this series, we talked about the issue of idols and we defined it as any good thing we make an ultimate thing in our life. I can't live without this, right? Well, when we take something good and try to get from it only what we can get in a relationship with God, we are in a dangerous place. At the end of the day, here's what's hard for some of us to take. You can't get from your spouse what only God can give to you. You can't get from a boyfriend or girlfriend. You can't get from having kids or being a parent or being anything. Only what God can ultimately give to you. And here's the result of what this lust will move people to do. Young girls will give themselves away to guys because they think he'll love me if I do this. Young guys will jump into bed with anybody because they think if I satisfy this appetite, I'll be whole. And it just leaves us feeling discarded or leaves us burning in a way. And men think, you know, entering into marriage or two people think entering into marriage for the sole purpose of being able to have sex and all these stereotypes that go along with it, examples of how lust can lead to an enormous letdown when our minds aren't set on the right things. When we are inordinately giving our love over to a person or an action or an idea of something that can't sustain our hearts, we are on a a journey to where we will realize we have been tethered to the wrong thing and we will come to the end of that rope and we'll realize that our faith for what our heart needs above all things has been in the wrong things. Because only God can love and only God can satisfy in the way that all of our hearts long for and need. Listen, let me give a couple practical applications and wrap it up with a gospel bow, okay? So that some of you think, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, as we look at this, Jesus says, pluck out the eye, cut off the hand, all right? He's saying it's serious. He's not saying go out there and dismember yourself, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying, but he's saying it's serious. And he starts out with the eye. Why? Because it's the window of the soul. And it's bigger than just simply, okay, garbage in, garbage out. I shouldn't look at certain things. No, he's saying something much more broad than that. He's talking about perspective. He's talking about how we see things and how we perceive them. So let me give you an example. Some of you maybe remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, Let me give you the, the cliff notes. Uh, He works for a guy, and that guy's wife really wants to have sex with him. And he's like, no, I can't do that. We're not going to do that. And she keeps pursuing him, pursuing him. One day she corners him in a bedroom, and he basically runs out of that place so fast he leaves his cloak behind. Uh, What gives him the courage? What gives him the strength? What gives him the motivation to see past that moment? It's his perspective of things. He said, think of what your husband has done for me. He said, my boss has given me everything. The only thing he's withheld from me is is you. 
And so what did he do? He thought past the moment. He thought past the carnal nature of it. He thought about the bigger perspective. And here's the reality. This entire year, our theme for the year has been with. The idea of learning how to live with the presence of God. That is, practicing that presence. There's not some sort of seance or lightning bolt or baptism that all of a sudden gives you this amazing presence of God where you just walk with it every day. It's, it's a practicing of that presence and recognizing that his promise to abide in us and be with us is good. How much more so when we begin to practice that in every activity that we say, how could I take the presence of God in my life and unite it with something in such a way that it's not his plan, it's not his desire? When we start thinking like that, the, the window of our soul will open up, our perspective on life and sex will begin to ultimately change. Now, he also says, cut off your hands. So what he's talking about here is the idea that you do have to be concerned about your surroundings. You do have to be concerned about what your eyes are resting on. You do have to be concerned about behavior. But the reason why it comes second is because behavioral modification will fail every time. You just put some great little habits and rituals and routines in your life, and I'm just going to modify my behavior. The heart is always what leads the behavior. The actions of our life will follow the intentions of our heart. God is saying, listen, I need you to recognize and know how much I love you, how much I desire you, how much I'm the one who can satisfy you to the point of changing and transforming your heart, which will lead you to places you never imagined you can be and to do things you never imagined you can do. So here's the thing. Change your perspective. Change how you're seeing things. Maybe you were raised. I had somebody, we talked in the foyer afterwards, it basically said, you know, I was always raised that sex was bad. <laughs> you know? Change your perspective on things and begin to see things through the lens of God and practice the presence of God in all areas of your life. And yeah, you may have to change some habits. And here's how gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand could be literal. For some of you, to get rid of a smartphone would be like cutting off your hand. And yet for some of you, when we look at the data as it comes in, we realize that our culture is so confused about sex because it says it's not that big of a deal, and yet the data is telling us a big deal. People are walking around a pornography machine in their pockets 24-7, and pornography and sex is a billion-dollar business. The stats are in, the money is in, the addictions are proven. All of it is saying that our culture thinks a lot about sex, but they don't know how to think about it right. And I know another person who got rid of a smartphone because of that issue. Like I said, for some of us, it might be like cutting off our hands. So change your perspective. Change certain habits, certainly. But let God into your heart to where he can drive and push you by knowing what he would desire for you as well. So here's a gospel connection. Let me wrap it up. So those of you who are single, if Jesus is the lover of your soul, you're going to be all right with that. Because you know that he alone can love you and satisfy you in the way that you need. If you're single because you're afraid of marriage, because you're trying to find that right guy or that right girl, having a relationship with Jesus where he is a lover and satisfier of your soul uh, gives you the opportunity to recognize that there are no perfect people in this world. <laughs> and now you're free to marry. <laughs> and, and, if, and if maybe 
you're saying, well, there are no perfect people out there, so I could just drop my standards whatsoever. No, if you recognize Jesus at the heart and soul of the gospel and who he is in your life, you will have the right standards. And you'll never compromise on those because you're not going to say, oh, well, I just got to do something, got to get married. You're going to wait until God says that it's right and it's time. Uh, And you're less likely to lower those standards in that case. Here's the thing. Wives and women, the feminist movement has told you that you don't need a man to be powerful. They're right. But then they're wrong to say what you need is a great career. You need to be able to do this. You need to be able to do that. And I can almost hear Jesus saying, yeah, great. Let's swap one addiction for the other. The reality of it is there's no man or no woman in here that can be empowered to the real truth of life apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here is what is at the heart of the gospel. If you miss anything, do not miss this. Everything else, every other religion, every other religious leader will call for you to give everything that you've got, to pour out everything like a bag of chips and to discard the rest. It will call for you to sacrifice everything that you have. And in return, you'll realize that that God or that religion did not ever intend on sacrificing the same amount for you. The radical difference about Christianity is because we have a God who sacrifices everything for us to be able to make us into anything we could never imagine we could be. When we get the gospel and we start to believe that, man, there's amazing liberation in that. And one of the areas that we get liberated is is the area of sex, which is such a hard issue within our culture because it's coming at us from every direction. And men and husbands, uh, you will never be able to be a good husband to your wife now or your future wife until you learn to be the wife of Jesus. I know that sounds weird, but God intentionally used very intimate terminology for how we're connected with him through Jesus. He is the groom. We are the bride. And as men, we learn to trust in how much he loves us how much only he can satisfy us. And, in, and, and what that in turn does for us, it gives us the opportunity to really love people as he is loving us. The gospel is summed up in the most intimate metaphors we could ever think because there is no one who can love us and satisfy us like Jesus does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your message. Thank you for what Jesus said to us. We're grateful, Lord, that You went beyond just a simple statement, do not commit adultery, and you've made such a big deal from beginning to end of your word about this really mysterious and and spiritual and amazing gift that you've given uh, to Adam and Eve and has been passed on to us through your word to uh, enjoy with our spouse. And Father, we just ask that you'd help us to make as big of a deal of it in the right ways as you do, Uh, to be confident to call it out in culture as we need to, in a way that really encourages people to see in a whole new light that you're the creator of something amazing and that when we go back to the source of all that we're told about it, that father sex can be a very liberating experience in the right context. And so Lord, we just ask that you guide us, you would direct us. Uh, Help us to to process this. Help us to make application of this. Uh, Help the parents who are in the room with kids who are going to have questions. Just have good, right answers for the different stages and phases that they go through as well. Father, so that we don't try and de-sex something 
your word that you created and gave to us as a gift. And at the same time, we just don't turn it into some trivial either, that we treat it with a kind of respect and admiration that you desire for us to treat it with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.